0: Hello, and welcome to The Course. I'm your host today, Stephen, and I'm speaking with Professor Adam Getacho from the Department of Political Science. Professor Getacho is the Neubauer Family Assistant Professor of Political Science and the College at the University of Chicago. She holds a joint PhD in political science and African-American studies from Yale University and is on the faculty board of the Posen Center for Human Rights, a fellow at the Chicago Center for Contemporary Theory, and a faculty affiliate at the Center for the Study of Race, Politics, and Culture. She's also the author of Worldmaking After Empire, The Rise and Fall of Self-Determination. She's here to talk to us today about her career path and how she became a University of Chicago professor. Professor Getacho, it is great to have you. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um. Well. Uh. Yeah. You know. I want to get into your story and and how you got to Chicago, but uh. Really quickly at the top, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um. And you know your position and 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 what you teach and research now.
1: Great. Um. Yes. I'm a, a professor in the political science department, and within political science, I specialize in political theory. Uh. And I study questions of race and imperialism. I look at Black political thought, so a set of uh, African American, African, and Caribbean thinkers from the nineteenth, late nineteenth to the early twentieth century, and the ways they thought about questions of racial hierarchy and imperial rule, and possibilities for emancipation.
0: Okay, thank you. Um. Well. Uh. So, how would you explain that, uh, to a layperson? I, I mean, like, did you have like a like a one or two sentence sort of summary of like what your your focus has been
1: over your career? I guess, um, so I, I examine um, the kind of history of, of imper- European imperial rule, primarily focused on the 19th and 20th century. But of course, that's an experience that begins really in the 15th century and that process of European imperial expansion Coincided, of course, uh, with the slave trade. It uh, coincided with the emergence and elaboration of theories of racial difference and racial hierarchy. And I look at a set of Black thinkers from around the world uh, who theorized and analyzed and critiqued those systems of imperial rule and racial hierarchy. And especially in the 20th century, they would come to defend uh, visions of self-determination. So projects that were intended to secure both racial equality and independence from imperial rule.
0: OK, thank you. So we, we've been asking everyone about their sort of middle and high school years, uh, you know, what they were like and specifically if there are any sort of signs back then uh, that, that this is the the field that you would go into. Um and uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, in your case, I'd like to just hear a little bit about your background as well, because um, I know that you uh, were you emigrated to the U.S. around that that period. So, um, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that journey? And were there any sort of inklings that that you were going to to go down this road when you were that
1: age? Um, so, yes, I was born in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and I grew up in Addis Ababa and in Habaroni, Botswana until I was about 13 years old. Um, and moved uh, to Arlington, Virginia around that time. And that was 2001. And um, I started high school shortly after in the United States. So I would say at that time, there really weren't many inclinations that this would be the direction I was going to head into. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had a very formative experience as a sophomore in high school. I you know, I didn't know what I was going to do or what I was going to be. But um, my counselor at the time suggested I attend a summer program at Howard University in Washington, D.C. For those who don't know, Howard University is a historically Black college, one of the most prominent Black universities in the United States. Um, And the summer program was focused on international relations and international law. And it was sort of set up kind of like a Model UN, um, but I took, you know, classes, had debates and discussions with uh, that were r- run by primarily graduate students and um, and included, you know, high school students from across the D.C. area. So that was a formative experience in two senses. One, it, you know, it was the first kind of college campus I had and the United States I'd been to. Um, mm-hmm. um, to it, you know, kind of alerted me to international politics. And like, I didn't realize this at the time, but you know, Howard University would become a really important part part of my own research because some of the the thinkers that I study in the twentieth century spent time at Howard would develop some of their kind of analyses of global politics while they were either faculty or students at Howard. So retrospectively, it would become an important site. But at that time, you know, a lot of my interest was really in participating in international politics. So I thought I might work for uh, the United Nations or work in development agencies. So that was sort of the orientation I had when I went to uh, college at the University of Virginia and while there, I just I think I was drawn uh, f- very much to the work of some of my faculty, um especially in African American studies. So I found myself being really interested in just de- delving deeper into the realm of ideas. And I had an opportunity after my junior year in um college to attend a summer research program where I spent a summer at Yale and um, did independent research with the kind of mentorship of a faculty member there.
0: Interesting. I One of our questions was going to be, you know, who are some people who have impacted uh, the the trajectory of your career? Um, could you talk a little bit more about that experience and, and how it impacted it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the most important set of faculty members who, who initially, drew, you know, suggested the kind of trajectory of graduate school to me um, were my faculty advisors at UVA. Um, And they included quite a, you know, array of faculty. So Claudrina Harold in the history department, um, who studies African-American history, Corey Walker, uh, who is a religious studies scholar, but broadly studied. African-American political thought, Robert Faton, who's a scholar of African politics, and Lori Balfour, who is a political theorist. So this group of four faculty really um, encouraged me to think about graduate school and uh, encouraged me to, ta- to do this research program that I was talking about um, doing in the summer of my junior year. And their kind of influence and model of teaching and scholarship really was for me a kind of like, you know, opened up a window of thinking, oh, this is something I could do. And I would like to be, you know, I would like to play the role they played in my life, which was kind of, you know, opening my eyes to whole new ways of thinking, helping me understand the world I lived in in a really different kind of way. And so that was a really important and kind of formative experience in my journey towards, you know, pursuing a Ph.D.,
0: yeah i see I, it was, was that would you say that was the moment when you decided you know when you set your sights on academia or, or were there any other experiences or just sort of like an aha moment when uh, you you decided to to follow that path
1: i think another aha moment for me was i spent one summer working on capitol hill for the congressional Black caucus and uh uh, where, you know, some of my work connected to the relationship of the caucus to various African states, and in particular Liberia at the time. And, you, you know, so if like there was like the pull factor of like the model of my um my advisors and then there was the push factor of not actually liking politics or like the <laughs> realm of DC politics. So I think that was there were like uh yeah so I I you know that summer was really interesting but for me it was a kind of eye opening about like what a life in the realm of, you know, at least congressional politics uh was and it just wasn't very appealing to me and I found myself, you know, Much more interested in doing the kind of random reading that I was doing at my desk at lunchtime than I was in the (laughs) the work that I was doing or the kinds of discussions and debates we were having uh, within um, the office I worked in. So I think that experience was also just, you know, I realized in that time that, oh, I I like doing this kind of independent writing and thinking more than I do like working in an office and, you know, yeah, dealing with the various dramas of, of the kind of, of of DC politics. And that was, you know, before things got really crazy. So I don't know what it's like now.
0: <laughs> One can only imagine. Um, so, okay, you, you mentioned the reading that you were doing at lunch and in your free time being more interesting. Um, how did you uh, arrive at, at the focus that, that you've followed throughout your academic career?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I mean, so part like... The one text uh, I was reading um, during um, my lunch breaks was Franz Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, Fanon is a Martinican psychiatrist uh, who is trained in France, but he goes on to join the National Liberation Movement in Algeria, a French colony. Uh, Martinique was also a French colony at the time. And he writes this important book, um, The Wretched of the Earth, that's a kind of defense of kind of revolutionary violence in Algeria, but against imperialism more generally. I think, you know, it's probably for many, for many students, it would be one of the first kind of examples of anti-imperial or anti-colonial texts they would read. And it was for me. And I ended up actually writing an undergraduate thesis on, on Fanon. And so that was my kind of entry point into thinking about decolonization or the end of imperialism, thinking about different theories and imaginations of what kind of, you know, the, the end of empire or what independence and equality could look like. So that would end up being my kind of focus for my dissertation. Also, although not, France went on would no longer play an important role in that work, but I was still preoccupied with that period of, let's say, the immediate post World War II years, from let's say 1945 to about 1975. Mm-hmm. This was a period in which, you know, like the the Membership in the u n goes from in the United Nations goes from um, about fifty states uh, to, you know, more than double that uh, as all these states are gaining independence. so it's it was so that so I ended up studying a series of African and Caribbean thinkers in this period and how they thought about this concept, this principle self-determination, um self-determination, the idea that, you know, All peoples have the right to self-rule. And so I was trying to think through what that meant and how they imagined and institutionalized that principle. Okay.
0: So has your academic research uh, involved a a lot of travel and and a lot of like uh, research abroad?
1: Yeah. So um, my first book, um, which was focused on this period and this context of decolonization, involved archival research in many different places, in Trinidad, and Barbados, in Ghana, in the United Kingdom, and also in Switzerland. And what I was doing in these places primarily was looking up various um, kind of documents, uh, some of them uh, written material by the actors I was studying, some of them kind of official debates and discussions, um, constitutional debates and discussions, Discussions between states, etc. Um, so official documents and also more private or personal documents, um, which were really important to my research. Also, I didn't. This another thing I did while in these contexts, especially in Trinidad and in Ghana, was a series of you know very informal kind of interviews, conversations like. Interviews aren't really part of my method, but it was just important to meet a set of actors, some of whom had played really important roles in um, the period I was interested in. And and as well as some academics who were, you know, who were based in these countries, who were just really helpful inter- interlocutors as I as shaped my questions and um, framed my dissertation topic.
0: And uh, I I wanted to uh, just sort of jump back a little bit, because um, one question uh, that the university wants to ask is, um, you know, just have you worked in in non-academic settings and how has that influenced your work? Um, I (laughs) talked about the push and pull factor. Uh, I don't know. Was there anything else uh, from your time, like away from from university campuses that you feel has informed your work since then? Or or have you had held other
1: roles outside of uh, academia? Uh, no, <laughs> so, well, I went straight from um, undergrad to graduate school and from graduate school straight to Chicago. So I'm, you know, a person who spent my kind of entire adult life on a college campus in some way or form. You know, I will say um, for those who you know, are thinking about pursuing the academy, um, pursuing higher education, I would say I would actually I always advise students not to do what I did. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's and to have more, um, you know, even if you ultimately end up pursuing a PhD and wanting to be an academic, it's worth uh, pursuing and having experiences that are more than just one summer in D.C. Uh, before kind of deciding on that track. So I think that those can be really useful. And my when I was in graduate school, um, many of my colleagues and cohort mates you know, had done really a wide array of things before they came to graduate school. And I think that can have really great effects on the research you do. And it, it can inform the kind of questions you're asking in ways that are really important. Yeah. And and
0: on that note, uh, what other advice would you have for someone who, uh, you know, wanted to, to follow in your footsteps or, or enter your field?
1: You know, I would say read widely, right, uh, which may seem very obvious. But I think I have found it always important uh, to read beyond the the specific you know disciplinary um, location that I'm in so I, the work of historians has been really important for me the right now um you know the work of literary and cultural scho- cultural study scholars is really is really important to me so I think it's it's you know there's a lot of talk about interdisciplinarity but I think like interdisciplinarity for me means, um, really trying to cultivate a reading practice that's question-driven. So you're interested in a topic or or a problem in the world, and you read in such a way that you can see varieties of perspectives on it. That's one thing I would suggest. Uh, I think another thing I would suggest is, you know, conversations with people who are differently positioned within the university setting can be really useful, like you know getting a sense of various trajectories of how people got to where they got to how they arrived at their questions can be w- can be really instructive i found those kinds of conversations when i was an undergrad to be really useful uh, one other thing i might add is try not to chase what you think is a like important topic or the uh-huh. the hot topic right like really you know this if you end up pursuing this work you have to be kind of dedicated to it in a in a long term kind of way so it has to be something that really moves and motivates you and then you'll have to figure out how to translate that to, uh, so that other people are moved and motivated by it as well but but i think it's really important to start from the kind of intuitions you have yes that yeah that makes a lot of sense
0: i uh yeah i wanted to ask about you know just uh you know how you find support um how how you manage to surround yourself with the support team and how you deal with, I don't know, criticism, resistance, just sort of, you know, roadblocks a- along your career path?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. You know, in in various ways, I think like the academic work, especially in the humanities and the humanistic social sciences, is a very lonely endeavor, right? Like you go to the archive and you sift through many, many boxes of <laughs> old papers and Hopefully you find something and then you go write about it by yourself, right? So it can be a very singular and isolated activity. But I think that what I have found is that actually it may be that ultimately you are responsible for what's on the paper, but having a community of um, uh, scholars around you can be really is a really important. And I think it's important to think about that at different levels, so you know, I think you want, and I have, I have like mentors who are f- much more senior than me, right? And they they help me think about like how to think about the next steps of my career and help me plan ahead for those kinds of um, I- endeavors. Um, I have kind of mentors or peers who are you know, closer into the process as I am. And I think of them as like people I'm navigating the road with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're the people who, you know, are in a way that like, you know, for more senior people, the everyday experiences of like a a junior faculty member are not going to be super top of mind. But there are people who have either recently gone through that experience or are going through that experiment in the same period as you are. And those can just be about like troubleshooting, right? Like I'm running into this kind of problem or this kind of conundrum. What What do you think? Or I'm applying to this grant. I know you got it, you know, last year or two years ago. Could I take a look at your materials? Uh, so that kind of peer-to-peer network is really important. And I tell graduate students, you know, who come to UChicago this all the time. The thing that changes from being an undergrad to being a graduate student is that in undergrad, The learning is very much your professor teaches you things and it's a kind of, you know, vertical uh, pedagogical relationship Mm -hmm. beginning in graduate school, like peer to peer learning or, yeah, is a a horizontal pedagogy is, is as much as important perhaps more important than what you learn from your faculty members. Um, and also your relationship to your faculty members is also one that's kind of evolving into a peer-to-peer relationship.
0: Yeah. Uh, thank you though. Those are great insights. Um, wanted to ask a little bit about your everyday experiences. Um, what are, what are some fun things about your current role and, uh, Or, you know, is there anything about uh, your current uh, work or just your current responsibilities that uh, may not be so fun that that you don't particularly care for?
1: You know, I think my the thing I enjoy most about uh, about teaching is um, and and being a professor here is helping students. Kind of go on their own research journeys. Um, so, for instance, yesterday I had a, an undergraduate student who's um, thinking about a senior thesis come in, and broadly he wants to think about caste politics in India. And, he, you know, he has like, it's a big topic, right? And helping him think about how he would go from this really big concern and interest into something like more manageable and a narrow question that he could really dig into for the next, you know, year or so and produce a senior thesis. So both like having that kind of conversation and then seeing students through that process and end up like producing you know excellent senior theses or or dissertations award winning dissertations is really like one of the great joys of of this job and it's it's not only because i um like you know it's like you're kind of like a proud parent or something you're seeing <laughs> your students being successful but because Many of those projects end up being projects that I learn a lot from, actually, also, like it helps me think in different ways about my own work. And I find that is true of the classroom at its best, also, that the kind even when I'm teaching texts that um I've read many times, I've written about, you know, I find that the kinds of conversations I have with students in the classroom really can bring new perspectives and surprising perspectives. Um, so I've I really enjoy that. And it's another ind- indication of the ways that actually scholarship is always a collaborative endeavor, right? where we're building on long long kind of traditions of scholarship. we're we're constantly in conversation with students, with colleagues. And that all ends up kind of shaping the work that we do. What what don't I like about the job? You know, honestly, I, the worst part of the job is grading. <laughs> so yeah. uh, partly because I really I enjoy giving feedback to students, especially on writing and helping them become better writers. But I often find that... Assigning of grades a very torturous experience. <laughs> I think the students often find the same too. So, <laughs> so it's not my so it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite thing. You know. I think the other thing I would say is that you Chicago is a very it's a very decentralized place, which in some ways is wonderful. It means that for every kind of intellectual interest or curiosity you have, there is a place and a home for you at the university. But it also can mean that you're really stretched very thin, right? And especially this time of year, April, May, as the weather gets warmer, there's like, you know, everyone kind of schedules their events, their conferences, their talks for this period. So it's a particularly, it's a moment where you feel incredibly stretched and you know, I wish that were there were ways that, that were less the case.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, thank you for for taking the time uh, in the middle of this busy uh, season to, to talk with us. Um, You you actually may already have answered our, our last question, but uh, I'm going to put it to you anyway. Uh, that's just oh, what what is the most gratifying thing you do? Uh, like, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you find uh, the most gratifying of, of your work?
1: I think, uh, yeah, I mean, in addition to sort of the work I was talking about, about advising students and seeing them kind of realize their research projects, you know, I think the most gratifying thing is not necessarily changing students' minds, because I don't really think that's, um, you know, like, that. I don't think of that as my my kind of aim, but more like opening them up to new perspectives. You know, I think there's a time in in some classes, it doesn't always happen. But when, you know, students have this kind of bright-eyed, like, moment of realization or or kind of something has opened up for them, whether it's like we're reading a really difficult text or they're kind of making a connection between a past um event and a contemporary kind of debate, that just uh, kind of an aha moment. Mm-hmm. And when I said, you know, earlier that I wanted to to kind of do the thing that my professors did for me, like, that's what they did for me, yeah. right? It just, like, opened my eyes up to a whole way of seeing the world that I I, I hadn't had before. So those moments feel very special to me. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, thank you for for coming and and sharing all of this. We have just about a minute left, unless I mean, in case there is uh, anything else you wanted to discuss. I mean, is there any any other aspect of of your work or research that you uh, you would like to touch on here, or do you think we've we've covered it?
1: I guess more related to research, I would just say I do a lot of archival work, as I mentioned, which can be sometimes a slog and. <laughs> When you find a rare gem or you begin to realize a pattern, it, it's the most exciting thing. So over the last few months, for instance, I've spent um, a lot of time uh, reading through these early 20th century newspapers from uh, West Africa, from what what was called British West Africa, Ghana, Nigeria, Sierra Leone and Gambia. And, uh, you know, I was... Just trying to think about when and when, um, kind of West African writers begin to use the category of black or in that in that period period Negro, and why they were why they were kind of beginning to use this term to self identify, you know, becoming like just reading newspaper after newspaper every week and finally being able to kind of map a pattern, like in some ways, like in in my research, um, this is the kind of equivalent of the aha moment that I was talking about for the classroom.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I almost asked for an example of that earlier. And, uh, so I'm glad that we, we ended up getting one on the tape here. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, Professor Katacha, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, really appreciate you coming and, and sharing all this. Great. Thanks so much, Stephen. And course takers, if you enjoyed listening to today's interview, please check out the other episodes of the podcast. You can find out more about the University of Chicago through uchicago.edu or the university's campus in Hong Kong through uchicago.hk. See you around.